Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for seeing, thanks for tuning in, thanks for downloading, thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, ContenderCast, for shining a light on bright ideas. We're going into a new year, 2024, uh, in retail and in consumer packaged goods. Uh, a lot happening. It's, it's an exciting time to be in our industry, as I always say at all the different industry events that I have the opportunity to go to and, and visit with. Um, and I will tell you that I'm really excited for today's episode because I think it helps set the stage for like what the year is going to start with, and the, at least in the first quarter, uh, some of the big things that are happening on the podcast today is Nikki Baird. She's the VP of strategy at Aptos Retail. Nikki, it's so great to have you back on the podcast. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Also, if you've been listening to the Contender Cast for five or six years, you would know that she actually was on uh, a long time ago. We've been friends for many years. The last time I think we talked about retail ROI, we talked about National Retail Federation. We talked about rock and roll retail. If you remember, anyway, put that oh, on the yeah. side. Um, Nikki and I have been friends for over ten years now in the industry, um, and she's just an expert in the space and an analyst in the space. And we're going to dive into some of the big trends that we see coming into uh, 2024. And this is important. Whether you're an, a startup brand that's entering the market with a new product, new service, uh, a new offering, or you're an established brand, I think you'll get a lot out of today's conversation. So, uh, Nikki, before we jump in, how about uh, remind Remind everyone of your background and how you got to where you are today. Oh my gosh. Well, I've been in the retail industry for forever. I've stopped counting. I was a retailer. I implemented point of sale and back office at a retailer. I was a consultant. I was an industry analyst for several years. Uh, and for the last five, I have been running strategy for Aptos. And I say, I look after the future and help interpret that for our customers and for our company direction. I love that. And share with our audience also, for those that may not know Aptos. Oh, yeah. We're an enterprise software provider. Uh, we focus on unified commerce and on connecting customers to products. Love that. Yeah. And and I, like that, that's a phrase we're going to come back to, unified commerce, shortly. Uh, certainly one of the big things we're seeing across our customer base that I have a chance to work with, and I want to dive into that with you. Um, so... You've been in the space for a while. I always thought of you as kind of an analyst, right? I mean, you've, that's been your background. And, and do you play that role at Aptos? Or like, how does that work out, you know, in, in, the, in your role there? Yeah, I think it's, it's part and parcel, right? So uh, everything that I do around, um, you know, where do we need to go from a product direction comes from, well, what's happening with consumers and then how are retailers reacting to that? So that's sort of the old job. I just keep doing the old job and then I've added more onto it. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that, that how that always works? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, we, uh, in my day job at Amazon, I moved to an industry aligned model and it's, it's very similar. Like we're looking for inputs from our customers in the industry and thinking ahead about what could be solutions, right? So then you can inform a product or solution roadmap. So very powerful. Um, okay, let's turn to uh, this upcoming year. Very exciting. Um, so just to, to rewind the clock for people, last NRF, it was also very exciting. What's interesting is that like in March, generative AI hit and, and everything around that and kind of just took the, the wind out of every other sale in the industry. Uh, how have you seen that kind of play out for you and your business leading into the new year. And then we'll talk about some of the other trends that go with that. Yeah. So uh, we have definitely seen an uptick in questions about it. Uh, and I would say for us, most of the focus has been around explainability, if you will. So uh, we have all this data. 
Aptos generates an, an enormous amount of transaction data, customer data, inventory and supply chain data, like help me make sense of this data. So that is definitely one area that we've seen a lot of activity on. I would say it's still very experimental though, you know, like the, everybody's talking about it, but not a lot of people are doing a lot about it. And I think the other thing that we see happening that we have to be careful about is there's this conflation of generative AI and like optimization AI. And a lot of people are starting to talk about them like they're one and the same. And it's like, yeah, they, they come from the same place. It's probabilistic, it's optimization, it's predicting the next best thing. But there's a big difference between, um, you know, like here's an offer to make to a customer and here's a thing that I'm going to present to you as if it was true. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've spent some time on Gen AI and um, just really very recently, actually, on a couple of our episodes, just, you know, helping to define it for our, our audience. And also kind of what are some of the initial use cases around retail and consumer goods? I think what's interesting, Nikki, is just the level of engagement, though, and interest from um, retailers and CPG brands from the line of business, even like the CEO, the boards, like, you know, it's not just, quote unquote, IT. Correct. I, I see that as well. And I think that's part of that's part of the attraction is that, especially for generative AI, that it's something that is a productivity tool for everybody, for potentially even store associates having the benefit of access to prompts or, um, you know, just something to spur creativity and how they might interact with the customer, those kinds of things, all the way up to the boardroom in, in explaining, you know, explain this chart to me right. um, kind of language, right? Like, everything in between. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, super exciting space to keep an eye on. And I always say this to groups that I talk to. It's like, just have somebody engaged and in, 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 in following this. It's moving so quickly. It's, you know, it's not blockchain or metaverse. Like we're, that, those were kind of like flashes in the pan. I mean, this is real. There are you, real use cases. They're just not at scale, I would say, quite yet, right? And it's really easy to experiment. So, you know, just get an account at ChatGPT and go play around with it for yourself and go see what that is like as an experience. And then that helps you better understand, like, you know, where it can potentially go from there or where you can bring it in your business. So love it. All right. So um so definitely an area to keep an eye on. I know with uh the big National Retail Federation event, I expect it to be like plastered on everybody's walls, door, ceilings, and <laughs> it will be the AI event, I think, this yes. year. Um <laughs> which I think is gonna be funny. Um okay, let's dive into a couple other areas. So you know you think about retail the last couple of years, you think about supply chain, supply chain disruptions. I can't get enough of this shirt I'm wearing. I've got too much of the shirt I'm wearing. Like well, it, I, it's it feels in the, what we're hearing from a lot of our retailers is that's moderated. What's your view on that kind of space? Yeah, I, you know, knowing that that my company primarily serves um, the fashion industry, so take it with a, that grain of salt. But through that lens, what we're hearing from our customers is that this is the best inventory year since the pandemic. <laughs> so, <laughs> best as I in mean, the most bar kind like, of <laughs> right? It's a low bar. <laughs> like when you say best year, though, does that mean like optimal or like the most availability? More like optimal. We have the right inventory in the right places. We didn't overbuy. We didn't underbuy. Although I will say, when I go out and look, I'll be going out tomorrow. I don't. I don't know that I want to deal with the whole Super Saturday kind of thing of of the twenty third. But twenty second, I'm going to go out and see what's out there. But I have seen some retailers already start to bring out what would typically be January merchandise, which tells me that the sell through is a little bit better 
than they had planned on or expected. Yeah, and for those that maybe don't aren't familiar with fashion and apparel, it's not like the product for January comes in in January. Like it's already yeah. here. <laughs> so it's there. Like, it's sitting it's in, in a the warehouse. Back room there too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's available and ready. Most just don't show it or pull it out till after holiday and after the kind of clearance, right? Yeah. So, well, you need the space, right? So if you've got too much space then you got to put something in it. And if you've run out of holiday stuff, then you're you're going to put January stuff there. That's just how it goes. Interesting. All right. Um, I'll, I'm going to keep us going. You know, a lot of retailers and um, that our brands work with and retailers themselves, you know, have developed their e-commerce capabilities separate from physical store. Although both are doing very well right now. Um, and many struggle, many retailers struggle with that, right? That tension between e-commerce, their e-commerce business and physical store. Any, and you guys sit in the middle of that, right? As you think about unified commerce and composable commerce, like how is that shaping up and explain to our audience, what are you seeing around that space? Yeah, I think that one's really interesting because it is still a lot of the sort of sins of the past. I mean, we see retailers who spun out or created from scratch their e-commerce business a long time ago. And then the effort to bring that back into the main retail business has been really difficult. So we see retailers who they made an e-commerce decision, who made an order management decision with no regard for how store inventory is going to play a role in all of that fulfillment. And so then you have the store operations group who's like, well, we want, we need to use store inventory. You need to start tapping into store inventory, but I can't use this order management because it only connects online to the warehouse and that's it. So there's that. And then the payment side of it too. We still have retailers who come to us and say, like, I just want, I want one transaction. If somebody's coming to buy online and pick up in store and they want to return something that they bought online and they want to, you know, add a cash and carry cart, I want that to be just one tap of the card and that's it. And it's like, well, you have a different payment system for online than you have for stores. So like, that is so crazy. <laughs> for those who don't know retail, did you get that? Like a different payments, it's the same company, right? The same brand, the mm -hmm. same retailer, and yet different payment mechanism. I know. <laughs> right? Well, and I, I get it. I get I get the decision that goes into that, right? Like you're you need more better fraud protection online and it's card not present. It's a different math equation that you have to pay for versus when the card's right in front of you and it's in store. That's a very different math equation too. You don't need all that fraud control. So I, I get what led to those decisions, but then to sort of just insist, like, I don't care, I'm not changing my payment providers, but I want you to make it work. And it's like that, you know, you can't suspend gravity. It just doesn't work that way. I'm really sorry. Right. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Um, so and it's so interesting. Um, okay. And then as you think about like engagement, another area that uh, I've been seeing a lot of interest in is around like loyalty and even, you know, I, I personalization, like personalizing experience online in store and through an app and whatnot, which you would think is old news. Kind of it's been, the word's been around a long time, but it seems like it's popping up again and really driving a lot of interest. And, you know, what's behind that? And, and why? Why, why suddenly the the real you know interest in investing in that space? Yeah, I think it's the whole third-party data angle. So all of the things that retailers have built on uh, cookies and being able to do targeting across devices and all of that stuff's been really challenged. It's um, The effectiveness of it has really been reduced as consumers can opt out of that cross-platform trafficking as Google finally gets around to implementing the death of cookies. Uh, all that stuff makes it harder. So uh, I would frame it as we hear a lot more retailers talking about first party data. 
So the kind of data that a consumer opts in to share with you as the retailer, the easiest way to get that data is loyalty programs because you opt in, you use that loyalty uh, card, and then I get to track all of the stuff that you're doing. Um, and in return, I'm going to give you some program benefits and things like that. So there's that aspect to it. So that's loyalty side. Personalization side, I always say um, personalization does mean that you are going to give me an offer that's based off of my past purchase history that predicts right. what I want to do next. But that doesn't mean that it's relevant to me. And I think that's the part of personalization that keeps it evergreen because we haven't cracked that code. Just because I may like it doesn't mean that I like it right now. <laughs> right. And that's the problem that we haven't figured out how to crack. So I think that's why personalization stays stays constant in terms of it's we got to get this right. We got to figure this out. It's still a thing. Interesting. You're um, also in the fashion and apparel space, as you mentioned earlier, as a subsegment of retail. Um, you know, at, at NRF last year and kind of leading up to that, there was a lot of real interest in like virtual stores, virtual try on. Um, you know, looking you know on on Amazon, for example, you can take your phone and with the Amazon app and show like a shoe on your foot. You know, like apparel and whatnot. Have you seen progression in that space and is it still testing and kind of trial or is it actually becoming commercial? Uh, I think it's getting there, but it's definitely still on. Um, I mean, some of it is making it easy enough to where you can just use the camera instead of needing like a specialized device. Um, I think some of it is getting all of the, the vendors on board to supply the fit information that's needed to really be able to not just let you imagine what it looks like, but guarantee that this is the right size, that this is what's going to fit you. Um, I think consumers, of course, maybe maybe in a post-Ozempic world, they'll be oh less concerned gosh. about this. <laughs> but, you know, the body scan thing is like, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see an avatar that looks like me. Right. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> That's actually know. kind of funny. Um yeah, and when I hear the word Ozempic, I think of the music on the commercial. I mean, you just can't help it. You know, like I, you just can't help it. Like, it's amazing. Good. Yeah, I, I mean, talk about through. catchy. Um, whoever wrote that, uh, and we both in both. You remember, guys, Nikki and I are both musical by background. We love music and singing. Um, okay, so uh, what about innovation? So, um, you know, I we we talked about this a couple of years ago. We we had seen innovation really picking up. It, it really stalled out during pandemic, COVID, and whatnot for a lot of you know everyone trying to survive. Have you seen that come back? And if so, what does that look like for retailers or for brands? You know, so I care a lot about the store and that's been an area where I've really been looking at, um, you know, to your point, some of that virtual stuff, like smart mirrors and things like that. I would really love to see, I'd really love to see a real fitting room of the future kind of experience take hold. We see retailers experiment with it, but, you know, other than flagship store experiences, it just never makes it out of there. Um, but I think also, like we know enough now about the volume of omnichannel that's going to happen and what does a store design need to look like in order to support and enable that. And I think we're coming up on enough of a reinvestment cycle in stores where we may really see some very different experiences just in terms of how the store is laid out and, you know, where the pickup is and um, how checkout looks and works. I I think we're on the cusp of some big investments there that will really look different to the end consumer. 
Interesting. Yeah. And same on the brand side. We've got a lot of, as you know, innovative uh, entrepreneurs that are, are listening to our show that are launching brands and products in the consumer goods space. They're working into retail, e-commerce, and then physical store. And so, you know, this is it's important for them to understand that they're, they're buyer is somewhat their customer. You know what I mean? So it's, that's why I think it's so important yeah. to really talk through this. Um, okay. We covered a lot of areas. If, if there, you could pick one or two others that we didn't hit on that, you know, are top of mind, what would they be? Uh, so in fashion, and this is another one probably sits right there with personalization. We've been talking about it a lot. And why isn't this the thing yet? RFID. Oh, how could I forget? Really close. It's so close. Okay. Let's, a little bit of definition here. Uh, for those that have been around the industry, RFID was a thing back in the late 2000s. It was like a mandate by um, a major retailer that brands <laughs> put tags on products. It was super expensive. And therefore, many people said, you know what, we can't do it. What is driving this this new wave of interest in RFID? So I think there's a high enough percentage of goods out there that come pre-tagged. Uh, some of it thanks to Macy's, I think, from their mandate, uh, at least on the fashion side, that um, even brands that never had to really get into tagging are sort of like, I think I need to start tagging this stuff. And if I'm going to tag it and it's going to come through my supply chain, then maybe I should be investing to leverage that all the way through. Sure. And it's really, it, it is interesting. I mean, we see, we saw it last year more from multi-brand retailers uh, like sporting goods companies where they were like, look, Nike's got it. Adidas has got it. Puma's got like, if I, if 70% of the stuff in my store comes already tagged, I should, I should do something with this. So we saw that. And now this year we're seeing more brands that are like, yeah, I kind of sat it out, but there's, there's enough out there now. I think I, I think I need to get in the game. Interesting. interesting. And then it, it, the cost. So for those, again, maybe this isn't as familiar that there's, there's tags that are either built into the tag or applied to a product. This is what everyone is following here. Uh, it's actually how some of your baggage goes to airport and is tracked um, like here in Atlanta. Um, but those tags used to be somewhat expensive. So if you looked at the total cost of goods that, you know, that was expensive, then you have to have these readers that read the tags, right? The product goes through or you can in track, but has all of that cost really come down as well, Nikki? Yeah, it has. Um, I mean, I think as well, uh, some companies have gotten clever with um, electronic article surveillance. So the security tags being the RFID tags. So you get some leverage that way, especially if you're, if you don't have product that comes already tagged, but the cost has come down from the tags. The biggest deal is the cost of the readers. And that also has come down, or at least the coverage and the intelligence that goes into those devices has gotten good enough that you don't need quite as many in order to cover the space and they individually cost less. So, or you get multifunction devices. Sure. So you don't have to invest in a reader, a handheld reader that just does RFID. I, you know, it comes and does a lot of other things as well. So there's a lot more leverage there. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I, then I, the next question I always get from like my customers is like, great, what are the use cases? Like who's using it for and what are they using it for? Is it for like inventory physical counting? Is it for inventory tracking? Is it for knowing what's in the store versus in the warehouse? I mean, those are those are some of the obvious, right, use yeah. cases. What would be others that you've seen? Uh, check out. Uh, oh, check out, right. Check Sorry. Out. <laughs> but I mean, then you have to have the right checkout equipment, right, for that? I mean, yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. So that's its own hardware thing um, and its own, uh, you know, complex interaction between software and device. 
in order to make that happen. So there's that aspect to it. I would say omnichannel is probably the biggest um, use case driver that I see. It's the, it's the I want to know if I really have this inventory in the store before I sell it to somebody. And then we're starting to see that extend more towards now I want to help that person in the store actually find it because I don't want the store to go you know, oh, well, I got this order, but I'm going to decline it because I don't know where it is. Right. (laughs) Or like last week, I was at a major hardware store that everyone would recognize. And I asked for this one product. He's like, he pulls it up on the screen. He's like, yeah, we got six of them. We couldn't find the six, you know, (laughs) not sure where they are in the store. Um, They weren't in the right place. Good luck. It's actually kind of funny. I thought about the use case for this. Um, Okay. So RFID, any, maybe one more? Uh, Let's see. What, what else? Um, how about on I the, mean, yeah, you know, it's not a technology thing per se, but I just think um, the store as a community, I think, is something that we're going to see more and more. It's something retailers, on the one hand, really embrace from a flagship perspective, but also don't want to have to scale down to being able to execute at a Main Street kind of store. But you just look at all of the all of the data that comes out about consumer behavior and especially Gen Z. And they they love going to stores, right? Like millennials were kind of a little bit more um, turned away from some of those experiences, but Gen Z is looking for connections and the store has to be that connection in order to get them to come in there on a regular basis. So totally. events and community and just all of that fighting loneliness and come and have fun, entertainment. Absolutely. Um, I think those are all going to be major ingredients for for stores. And it's got to come not just at those flagship experiences, but at that everyday Main Street mall. Totally. Yeah. And what Nikki's talking about is a lot of times like come to New York and to the flagship store and you'll get to see all the cool whiz bang stuff there. But then you go to the same store in Atlanta or D.C. or wherever. And it's like it's good. But it doesn't have some of the right the the it's, new innovation. It's a store. In it. I can it's get store, stuff here. Right? I can get awesome. product. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, so great, um, Nikki. Um, as we get ready to go today, how can our listeners connect with you? Um, you know, kind of if they wanted to follow up on these topics, like how do they reach out to you? Where can they find you? Yeah, these days, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best, most reliable place. Uh, you can definitely find me there. And uh, happy to connect with anybody who wants to talk more about these topics. I love talking about them. I love it. So great. And for those of you that live in New York, which is like a lot of our listeners, actually, um, or a lot of our founders, actually, will be there at the National Retail Federation show in January. Um, coming up this year will be January 13th. That's the well, January 12th. The Friday is really the kickoff to that weekend and the whole following week. So if you want to connect up, let us know. And Nikki, so great to have you on the podcast. We've got to have you back on. Like You're re- you're like one of the few repeat guests. So it's pretty. It's a, it's a special oh, class. I'm honored. I need. Is it like SNL? Do I get a jacket? I know. I, I think point? I got to create some sort of like sticker or pin for you know laptop sticker or pin for you know whatever Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> so great to see you. Thanks for being here. Yes. Thanks for having me. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional Contender Cast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. <laughs>